You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Come on, good morning. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm blessed that you're here. For those of you watching online, hey, your High Ridge family wants to say welcome. Come on, High Ridge family. Let's welcome them in from all over the globe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you like what you're hearing today, click the share button. Interact with Mr. Lincoln, the moderator today. I think he's got a lot of cool things to say to you. So um, ask him about his kids. Ask him about his ministry. There's all kinds of things that guy can talk about because he knows everything. For everybody else, Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to go today. If you are new to the Bible, open up to the middle, take a hard right. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll put the words on the screen for you so that you can see that I'm not just making stuff up. Amen. You ever been to a church where they made stuff up? Not this one, other churches. Like, that sounds made up. Like, <laughs> this, this word today, I believe, is going to help you. I believe that any time you turn your attention to God's word, God's word produces things inside of us, and it helps us to become more like Christ. And today is no exception. So as we turn to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to just uh, say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you who are supporting us financially. I know that it's a step of faith in the middle of a recession. It's difficult sometimes for us to trust the Lord with our finances to give to a nonprofit like High Ridge Longview, but it, it is making a difference, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You make it possible for us to do incredible things. 296 people have responded to the gospel already. We had two people respond in the very first service. That puts us at, we're breaking 300 today, somebody, today. And it could be you. It could be you. So Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to go. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of our series called Life in the Sweet Spot. And this is, uh, I say nitty gritty because this is uh, where we're getting down to telling people things that uh, what we describe it as, it ain't sexy, but it is what you need to hear. It's not what people go to church looking for, but it is absolutely what we need. We need to be taught this. We're going to talk today, finding the sweet spot, that sweet spot in the middle of God's discipline. Somebody say discipline. Discipline just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Anybody else raised in the 70s? We were raised in the era of Bill Gothard. And I'm just telling you, there's some, there some crazy discipline that happened in evangelical circles. It was, a, it was a strange time. Now, discipline might mean something different to you than what it does to people like me, the Generation X. And it might be something different to you if you're the boomer generation. There, there was a time when you could discipline completely different and be it right, wrong, or indifferent, you're going to learn today, right? There was a... There was a time where you, you, discipline was a very wide array of things that you could choose. And I remember I got, I got spanked by a Hot Wheel track one time. You ever been beaten by a Hot Wheel track? I walked in Toys R Us about 10 years later, like, oh, there they are right there. That just makes my leg hurt. That just, it's a different time. My parents believed in capital punishment, and they used it liberally. They would paint your back porch red. I get it. Uh, and uh, discipline might mean something different to you. But there was no timeout. That wasn't a thing when I grew up. That came in the late 90s. Time, this is a timeout. Like, what is timeout? Timeout was the time you spent being knocked out from being a smart aleck. Anybody say smart aleck? We don't tell our kids smart aleck anymore, but smart, I don't even know what that is. But I know what it feels like when I acted like that. There's a price to pay for being a smart aleck. Anybody else ever been a smart aleck? Smarty pants, is that what white people say? Smarty pants? 
Y'all didn't, you weren't raised in the era of the chancla. We had the chancla in Mexican circles. That's, uh, that's the way you discipline. It's called the chancla. It's, it's the sandal. It's, it's mama's sandal. And that thing could, it was, it's like Thor's hammer. She was worthy and you were not, but she's going to make you worthy. <laughs> now, my, my sister and my brother, uh, we were all 16 months apart. Uh, there's four of us, and we were very, very close in age. And so my sister's the oldest, and as she passed from the terrible twos into the serial killer threes, uh, there, was, there was that time where we thought, you know, that she is, she's going to be fine. She's just going through the terrible twos. That, that didn't end with the, with the age of three. It, it went to a whole new level. Anybody ever have one of those kids where you're like, this, this one might be the first five-year-old in prison. This is, this is, this is different. No? Just us? Nobody? Because oh, y'all, know, y'all know discipline. I get it. But uh, the story is told that my sister, when she was three, I'm 16 months younger, she would constantly bite me. And this is like, not this is like, oh, she just, no, no, no. Bite, like serial killer. She went full Dahmer. No. And so my, <laughs> the second service, I thought you guys were cooling, no? I would scream out, my mom would come running and hit this baby covered in bite marks and like, what are you doing? I didn't do that. I'm like, who came in? It, Jeffrey Dahmer came in, I don't know. And she would spank my sister and say, apologize to your little brother. And she would say, absolutely not. And she would not. And she would get a spank. Will you apologize? Nope, not having it. Spanking her again. This went on for forever. She, she's just one of those kids where it's like, it ain't happening. Not doing it. I'm not saying I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. You can spank me all you want to. We can keep going. I can take more than you can. Just one of those kids where you're like, dude, something is. She likes to bite her little brother. And that's the reason why I have a lot of trauma. It's the reason why I preach the way that I have, because I've, say, once bitten, twice shy. When you've been bitten a hundred times, like, I ain't shy anymore. Like, I passed that. But we had hardcore discipline because we had hardcore kids. Understand this, that God's discipline is a thing. It's very biblical. There are times in your life where you're going to walk through seasons and you're like, uh, this has got to be the devil. This has got to be the devil. The devil's attacking me. I'm walking through spiritual warfare. This has got to be because I'm doing so good. The devil's attacking me. Maybe you're right. There are other times in your life where you may say, you know what? This is because I'm kind of stupid. I do dumb things. And people make choices, right? Choices have consequences. Mistakes were made. I, I and then there's other times where it's God's discipline because you're disobedient. We don't hear a lot of messages taught about the discipline of a good God. Now, whether you have a healthy discipline in your past, whether there was some abuse in your past, I want you to know that is not God. Our earthly versions of what discipline is does not compare to the goodness of God. But discipline is discipline regardless of whether we had a great model or a not so great model. God still disciplines his children. And one of the things that I come up with so often as a pastor is the mindset in our twisted view of American Christianity that I can live any way that I want to live, do whatever I want to do, sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, cheat on my taxes, I can do this, I can do that, and God's amazing grace just has to forgive me. That's what's so amazing about grace. It gives me the license to do whatever I want. That's not true. It's not true. There is Old Testament God, there is New Testament God, and Old Testament and New Testament have one thing in common, discipline for his children. God still disciplines his children. You are no exception. 
Now, how you respond to the discipline of God makes you different than maybe the person sitting next to you because there's some of us like me that were an angel growing up and daddy said, go left, and I went left. And there are some of you that like, this, you had to have a little bit more encouragement. Some of us are more stubborn than others. But discipline itself is extremely biblical because God's a good father. And so as we're digging into God's word, I want to show you Old Testament, New Testament, the hard stuff that we need taught from our pulpits today. I want to remind you of, of, of a very simple fact that God's grace, it doesn't just cancel the temporary effects of our sin. No, no, no. It changes the eternal consequences of our sin. This is why we need grace. It keeps us from being thrown out of heaven when we make mistakes. Your salvation is dependent upon God's grace. What are you talking about? Can't I just do whatever I want and God's grace will cover it? I want to show you this in the book of Galatians. This is New Testament after Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. Galatians 11 and 12 both talk about the restoration of a believer who's living in disobedience. That still happens. Not to you guys. Third service maybe. Not you. We don't disobey. Not ever. The Bible talks about what to do in cases of believers being disobedient and living underneath the discipline of God. And it says this in chapter six, verse seven, it says, do not be deceived. In other words, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. Don't be deceived. God, it can't, he can't be mocked. He knows, he sees. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. This is New Testament. Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. It's not talking about horticulture. It's not talking about grapes. It's not talking about wheat. It's talking about sin. Sin. It says, if you live life and make choices according to the spirit, from the spirit you reap eternal life. But if you're living life according to the flesh, you will reap destruction. It's very clear. A man will reap what he sowed. But that doesn't line up with my theology. That's because you have the different thing in your mind. You don't understand the difference between grace and mercy. See, there's the mercy of God that will cancel the temporary effects of your sin. But more often than not, we find that it's God's discipline where he allows you to experience the full weight of your stupidity and your disobedience. I do stupid things. I disobey God. And God's like, you know what? Let me show you what happens when you keep doing that. Okay, let it happen. And you're like, but grace, I need grace. <laughs> like, no, you had grace the first time you did it. The second time, that's going to be on you. And God's still good in the middle of my disobedience. God disciplines his children. Old Testament, New Testament. But didn't Jesus take all of my sin and nail it to the cross? Yes. Yes, he absolutely did. To satisfy the wrath of God. Let me say it this way. Jesus took God's wrath for us, not his discipline. God disciplines his children, but Jesus took his wrath so that you wouldn't have to. You still with me? Is this okay? You got to be able to see this. Otherwise, as soon as something comes along in your life, you're like, this is a little weird. This is a crazy season. I'm gonna have to rebuke all this. Like, that's not the devil. God told you no. And you keep saying, but I like it but I want it, but this, this is good for me. Just cover me with your grace. Like, nah, 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 nah. God's not gonna be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So it brings us up to, uh, let's, let's, look at, let's look at Jonah. 
Most of us have heard the story of Jonah and the whale. And of course, the Bible never says whale. It says God prepared a fish, but we'll keep on going with the story. The Bible tells Jonah, who is a believer, he's a prophet of God. And God speaks to Jonah and says, you are going to go preach against this city of Nineveh. You're going to tell them to repent because I'm about to rain down fire from heaven and destroy the whole city. Go tell them what I said. And Jonah's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm more of an encourager type, Lord. And I want to just, uh, I, would rather, I would rather you send somebody else to give the, the fire and brimstone speech. That's not really my thing. I've not been into it. So I'm going to go chill in a... In a I'm going to pick a nice beach and I'll, I'll suffer for the gospel there. And so he gets on a boat. That's my paraphrase. Gets on a boat and God's like, where are you going? No, I told you to go left and you're going right. Well, God, you can use somebody else, surely. The Bible says God prepares a storm and it's a storm of biblical proportions where people that were on the boat with Jonah is like, this, this ain't no ordinary storm. This is not just, oh, we had some wind and waves. We had some choppy sea. No, this is ridiculous. Somebody must have made God mad. Who is it? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? And Jonah's like, nah, it's me. What should we do? Should we, should we turn the boat around and head towards Nineveh? No, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do what God says. That's essentially what he's saying. Just, just throw me overboard because I'm going to die. I've disobeyed God and I'd rather just die. Instead of do what he says, I'll just rather die. And God's like, you're not getting off that easy. And God chooses a fish. Prepares a fish to take Jonah to put him inside of its belly for three days and nights. Can you imagine the smell? God uses extreme circumstances to get his attention. He says, you're going to do what I say. And Jonah's, Jonah's like, I bet I won't. Until about that third day, he's like, you know, something has occurred to me. That this is perhaps not my best life. Perhaps my choices have led me to this decision where God's discipline is uh, more than I can bear. <laughs> Has a heart change. You know what, God? I, Nineveh sounds like a pretty decent place. But I'm never eating fish again. The Bible says the, the fish vomits him up on dry land. Like, talk about an exit. And then he shows up in the middle of Nineveh doing exactly what God said he was going to do days and days ago. It could have been so much easier if he'd have just listened. But like many of us, he's like, yeah, that's, that's for somebody else that has way more faith than me. That's Old Testament, where God uses extreme circumstances to change the same thing that we deal with today, pride, arrogance, our attitude, our perspective, our values. He still does that today. God disciplines his children. That's Old Testament. Let's look at New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to pick it up in verse four. By the way, this is once again written to believers. Believers. And it says this, in your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Or in other words, hey, calm down. There's people working. There's people dealing with many, many horrible circumstances, way worse than yours. And he says this, and have you completely forgotten this word of, I want you to look at the screen, look at this, look at the next word, completely forgotten this word of, say the next word, boo. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? What in the world are you gonna encourage us with? He says this, 
that God addresses you as a father addresses his son. And it says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. God would rebuke me? Absolutely. Because he's a good father. When God rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You know, there's a lie that we've allowed to infiltrate our culture that discipline and love can't coexist. Yeah, they can. And we see this paired within the heart of God. That one of the ways God shows his love for his children is through discipline. He disciplines those he loves as a father addresses his son. It says he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. Hardship and discipline. He says endure it. Because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone, somebody say everyone. everyone. You're no exception, boo-boo. Everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? It goes on to say, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Well, duh. Like this discipline feels so good. Like then that's not discipline. (laughs) However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I feel like the Lord led us to this scripture alone today to see an important message, to see an important part of scripture that we get, uh, that we, that we get too, too comfortable ignoring this part of the, of the relationship that we have with the Lord, that God disciplines his children. And it's a good thing. It's a powerful thing. So in the middle of God's discipline, what does he want me to understand? What is it that, that, he, that he wants me to get? How do I find a sweet spot in the middle of, of God's discipline? Is there one? Absolutely, yes. I want to show you, the, uh, I'm going to give you four things that are critical to understand about the discipline of God. And this is what I know. You've either, if you're a believer, you've either come out of a season of discipline by God, or you're in one right now, or you're going to be in one. But you're going to need this. You're going to need this when you're walking through the discipline of the Lord. Once again, we're not just talking about uh, you made some bad decisions. We're talking about when God said go left, and you're like, I'm going right. When God says talk to this person, you're like, I will not. When God says stuff like, you need to start tithing, you're like, oh, that's old school. How dare you confront me about my finances, God? God will absolutely confront you and will disagree with you. If you serve a God that doesn't disagree with you, you're worshiping a version of yourself. He will confront you and mature you to become more like him. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Is this okay? Here's four things that we have to understand about God's discipline. Number one, discipline helps me remember. It's amazing how God can use blessings and we will forget that he's a good God. God will bless our life, he will come through and then six months later we'll walk through something like, oh, what am I gonna do? Can God even do anything? But discipline doesn't do that. You're gonna learn today a lesson you will remember. Why? Because pain is an incredibly efficient teacher. You will remember when God says, this is not what's gonna happen. You're gonna do it this way and I'm gonna prove it to you. And he disciplines, you're like, hmm, I remember now. Hmm. My memory has been jogged. 
There's a reason why Paul, and we assume that it's Paul, but he's writing this, this to believers. He, he opens up the chapter with, have you completely forgotten? Because we do. Yeah. Times of high stress makes us forget the basic, most basic things. Like who we serve. Who's in charge? What's the goal here? Does he love me? Does he see? Does he know? It, whose way deserves to take the lead here? We forget basic things like that. Discipline helps me remember. There's a reason why David in Psalm 23 has an amazing line that I thought uh, should not go there at all because it makes no sense, except that it does. Psalm 23 verse four says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but that seems like there must be something lost in translation there. God, you must not have had the parents I had. You ever had a hot wheel track, God? No. You ever had an extension cord? No, nobody? Woo. There's a 70s, man. Hey. It's amazing how people that were hippies, all that free love stuff, let them have some kids. And they're like, hmm. We made some mistakes. These kids need to learn. There need to be some boundaries. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a great word in the original language, that word comfort. It's the Hebrew word nakam, which means to, to bring to repentance. That means to, to change the mind. To change the mind, to bring to repentance, and then put it to rest. It gives us a brilliant word picture in the original language that correction changed my mind. And then I can crawl up into daddy's lap and cry myself to sleep. It shows a restoring of the relationship in the middle of discipline where it's not God disciplining me because he hates me, but doing it out of his incredible love for me and saying, now come sit with me, cry it out, take yourself a little nap, cry yourself to sleep. And when you wake, it's over, it's done. You'll never have to walk through this again. That's the beautiful part of healthy discipline that the father models for us. It's amazing how your attitude will change with a little bit of correction and a nap. Yes. David said, your rod and your staff, they they comfort me. Comfort me. It lets me know I'm I'm not forgotten. It reminds me who's in charge and it's not me. I want you to know today that God is not the author of evil, but he allows us the freedom to choose evil. Why? To remind us of his great love. To remind us there are consequences to our sin. To remind us of things like pain hurts, but God's good. It's better in his presence. God gives you the ability to choose the wrong thing because he loves you and wants you to choose the right. You have to see the consequences of your sin. I believe, I can say it this way, we need the negative consequences of our sin to remind us of the comfort that only his presence can provide. You need it. Otherwise, we'd stay in our sin. We'd never change. We'd just keep doing it. Why? Because it feels good and there's no penalty. I can just ask for grace and live completely guilt-free. None of us would ever want to be more like Jesus. But he reminds us that there are consequences to our sin. You're going to reap what you sow. Heard a pastor one time says, some of us come in here, we sold our, sowed our wild oats, and then we come to church and pray for crop failure. I wasn't sure what that meant at the time, but later on, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's aggressive. Discipline helps me remember. 
Here's the second thing that discipline tells me, and I'm finding the sweet spot in discipline. Number two, discipline gives me proof. Irrefutable proof of who my father is. It reminds me that I, as Mari Povich would say, I am not the father. He's the father, right? He's a dad. He gets to decide what is right for me. As believers, we lay down our right to be in charge. We say, you're in charge. And discipline reminds me of not just who he is, but who I am. It puts things in order. It reminds me that we are his children. We are not orphans. We are children, sons and daughters of God, which is also a, a, great, a great thing to think about because God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. Because you will spoil a grandchild rotten and the same discipline that comes with grandkids, you're like, oh no, he needs cookies at four in the morning. He's hungry. <laughs> it's amazing how discipline changes from children to grandchildren, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. God doesn't have grandchildren, but we have that view of, of God. He's up there to give me whatever I want. I want to remind you, he's your father, not your grandfather. And a healthy father will always discipline his children for their good, out of his love for them, out of his desire for them to become more than what they are. Yes. Discipline gives me proof. I'll say it this way. God is too good of a father to let me do what I want. I want to make sure that you see that. I'm going to leave that up on the screen for just a second. Because we want to argue with the Lord. Just let me do what I want and then forgive me for it later if it doesn't work out. <laughs> Nobody? Just me? Am I the only one that's ever talked to the Lord like that? Just let me do it and let there be no penalty. So let me do what I want. He, he's too good of a father to let, let that happen. Discipline gives me proof of his goodness. Discipline gives me proof that he's a good father. I'll say it this way. Discipline is irre, it gets irrefutable. Irrefutable evidence of, of my sonship. Here's the third thing I want us to see. Not only does di discipline give me proof, but discipline, number three, always pays off. It always pays off. What does it pay off in? The writer of Hebrews says it pays off in things like holiness, righteousness, peace, maturity. Now, I, I skipped the part where it says discipline pays off in huge financial blessings. <laughs> I wish that's what it said. Wouldn't that be nice if God's like, I'm going to discipline you, but when you come out, you get $12 million. You're like, bring it. I don't even care. I don't even care. Thy will be done, right? <laughs> Holiness, like that, that doesn't sound great to me. The, the peace part, I can, I, can, I can go with that. I said, you, you need this. Why? Because it makes you look more like Christ and less like you. There's a reason why John said, I, I must decrease. He must increase. He is the best part of me. David said, his nearness is my good. My relationship with, the Christ, with Christ is the best part of me. And I want more of him and less of me. That's the point. Discipline pays off with holiness, pays off with righteousness, with peace and maturity. He says, for those who have been trained by it. I want you to think about that word trained by it. Discipline trains me. It's a great word in the, in the original language of Greek there. It's, uh, the, the word says it's, it's, uh, it's the athletic agony that produces champions. Here's the Lord saying, I, I'm going to use discipline to train you. 
There's some agony you've got to walk through, but it's, it's training agony to help produce a better version of you, a version that looks a lot more like me. You know, when God allowed uh, David uh, to become the, the second king of Israel, it wasn't just by happenstance that he got there. There was a lot of battles that had to be fought before he could take on the role of being a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us that as a boy, David fought a, a lion and then he fought a bear long before he fought a giant. Do you see how the battles get a little harder? God allows the stress and the anxiety of those attacks to train him for something bigger, train him for something more. And God still does the same thing for his children today. We're in training. This ain't easy. I get it. And it's not going to get easier. But it's training for a battle that I'm going to need the training from this battle today in order to face that one. I'll say it this way. What God allows me to face today enables me to defeat greater things tomorrow. You always have a battle to fight. And the more that I listen to the Lord, the more I allow his discipline to train me and to mature me, to sanctify me, it gives me the ability to face bigger and more fierce giants. It's training that has a payoff. I'll finish up with this. Point number four, if you're taking notes, this is important. The sweet spot in the middle of discipline is found in two words, attitude and perspective. And this is great because uh, those are two choices that we can make. It's not two things that the, the Lord has to do. It's the thing that we get to do to respond to the Lord's discipline. I'm going to change my attitude. Lord, I'm going to change my perspective. I suddenly have the urge to see it your way. Oh, that scripture, your ways are higher than my ways. I get that now. There's a brand new meaning. My perspective has changed. The Lord also wants to change your values. So we see that when Jonah gets uh, vomited out onto the beach by this huge fish and he goes into Nineveh, he preaches the exact words that God tells him to do. The things that he avoided, he finally does. You know, there are some, some legends in, uh, that we found in, in historical context that says that there was a man that, that preached repentance that was, his skin was completely bleached white. You're like, Michael Jackson existed? No, no, this, <laughs> this is probably Jonah. Think of what the acid inside of a fish would do to a man's skin. But the people listen to him. Like, perhaps this guy has a story to tell. And they listen. And they do what Jonah wouldn't do. They repented. They responded. They did what God said. And God lifts his wrath, extends his mercy, and sees that their repentance means that they don't have to go to plan two, plan three, plan four, where it just gets worse and worse and worse. No, no, no. They listened. Showing us there's a difference. When our perspective and attitude changes, God's like, I don't have to discipline you anymore because you get it. You'll listen. Some of us, not so much. Some of us are more like my sister. Will you repent? Absolutely not. I like this. He tastes amazing. And for some of us like me are just angels. They just, you tell me left, I trust you, Dad. I trust you. My parents are both rolling their eyes as they're watching this right now. I guarantee it. They could, they could tell some stories. Here's the thing. Uh, when Jonah preaches, the people respond but Jonah still believes that God ought to do what he says and, and rain fire down from heaven, just kill them all. So the Bible says that Jonah walks up to a hill and he finds himself a little bit of shade and underneath a nice little arbor, there's, 
great leaves around it. They give him some shade from the Middle East sun and he sits down and takes a nap. And while he's asleep, God says, I'm gonna prepare a worm and I'm eating all of those leaves and makes that sun extra hot. You know, when you're tired and you're mad and you're hot at the same time, that's the, that's the holy trinity of regret, right? You go, man. And he starts getting mad at God and God begins to confront him. God says this in the book of, in, 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 in verse 10, chapter four, the Lord says, you're so concerned for that plant, aren't you? And Jonah's like, absolutely. It's the only thing I have. Those leaves are amazing. You care a lot about that plant, don't you? Yes. I'd rather die. And like, we're back to that again. And God says, shouldn't I show concern for the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people? Like you're more concerned with a plant than you are the people that could have died. They repented. That's a win. But you're more worried about this plant. And attitude is what God uses extreme circumstances to confront. And I believe that as we're speaking today, there's some people here that you're absolutely living in disobedience. You need a pastor to tell you. You're living in a time where you think you can do whatever you want. There's no consequences for it. God's word is very clear. You're going to reap what you sow. And as a pastor and as your friend, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. That's your choice. I'm not telling you um, something that I haven't experienced and walked through for myself because I am, I am not a little angel. I promise you there's been many times where God says, you're going to do this. I'm like, you think so? Because I'm stubborn. I'm Mexican. And I can be completely wrong and know I'm completely wrong and not care. I'm still going to argue. You ever been with a person like that? Like, I'm telling you. It's hard to, hard to deal with a person like that. Maybe wrong, never in doubt. And I will never admit it. It's just part of my pride. I get it. And that, I take that in my walk with the Lord. When God's like, you're going to do this. I'm like, yeah, I won't. Got too much sister in me. I went to a wedding one time. And as I was walking into the wedding, I heard, I heard the Lord speak very clearly to me. And God said, there's a pastor in there that's gonna wanna speak to you and you're, you're not to speak to him. I'm like, that's weird. God said, I'm telling you, don't talk to him. Walked into the wedding and sure enough, the guy that was preaching the wedding was a pastor that many of you would know if I said his name. Very, very uh, powerful, famous guy, great reputation. And God's like, do not speak to him. I'm not gonna tell you again. And I'm like, why would he even speak to me, Lord? And of course, as soon as the wedding is, is rolling to a stop, he has everyone stand and introduces the bride and groom and the people are, are cheering. Then he looks over at me. I'm sitting about here. He's like, hey, I need to talk to you. Wait, wait, wait. I need to talk to you. And God's like, I told you. And I'm like, well, it would be rude to just walk out. I mean, I don't just want to. So I'm, I'm taking a few steps and he said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And God's like, no. And I'm like, did you say go, Lord? Did you say go? The Lord spoke again. He says, he's going to offer you a job. And I don't want you to even entertain the thought. And sure as the world, this guy starts talking to me. It's the Lord screaming at me, no. And I'm in 100% disobedience. Me, a pastor? Yes, me. Don't look so shocked. <laughs> Actually, most of you don't look shocked at all. You're like, I believe this. This, this feels a lot like you. And he said, hey, you know, uh, I... I've, I've got an incredible job for you. I've been thinking a lot about you. I believe that God has led you here for a reason. And man, I've got, how much are you getting paid? Because I could make, man, we could make a lot of money together. And God's like, get out. I'm like, Lord, I'd like to know what I'm worth. We could, what, is, what does a lot mean? Let's, let's, talk, let's talk number. 
And the Lord is screaming at me, I told you. The answer is no. But did I listen? No. Because I was bitten as a child and it took... <laughs> It says, once bitten, twice shy. And since I got bit a lot of times, I lost my shyness and I just become stubborn. So apparently thrice bitten, thrice as stubborn. I don't know. And so as soon as I started to talk to this guy, the Lord told me, no, I I was going to ask like, so what are we talking about here? What do you need? As soon as I opened up my mouth, my nose started bleeding. My nose bled onto my shirt and I'm wearing a nice, nice shirt. I look down, there's just blood. I'm like, what? Is this a dream? I'm like, down, there's blood all over. I'm like, I... And I just turned around, walked to the bathroom, and God said, I told you, this is the end. I will not tell you again. I'm like, you know what? Perhaps, perhaps my attitude was a little wrong. <laughs> perhaps your way is better than my way. God said, leave. And I said, absolutely, I will leave. I left, but I learned a hard lesson. I don't just get to do what I want. When you're a son and a daughter of God, he's in control. When you give him the rights and the authority over your life, he takes that seriously. We serve a God that has the right to disagree with me and he will always be right. That's my job to listen. He doesn't have to explain why. It's my job to listen because he knows what's best for me. If I would have said yes to that, I'd never be here. And I know that I'm supposed to be here today to tell you exactly what the Lord is saying from Hebrews chapter 12. You need to understand God's discipline. And I've been there where I disregarded it, disobeyed it and paid a price. Now it could have been a lot worse. I could still be in that job doing exactly what God told me not to do making a lot of money and people cheering me on the entire way. Look how awesome you are. So great. Making so much money. Look look at the blessings of God living in 100% disobedience. Let me ask you, as we're finishing up today, do you know the point of God's discipline? It's to change your values. Do you love what he loves? Do you value what he values? Can you trust that his ways are better than your ways? Are there, please hear me, please look at me, are there areas of your life that you know without a doubt are against the will of God? And you've been busy lying to yourself, making excuses for why you have done what you have done. Let me tell you, life gets really hard when you continually disobey that. I love you enough to tell you the truth that God's discipline is not what you, you don't want that. And you don't have to have that. We can make a simple choice. Lord, show me what to do. That's the sweet spot where our attitude ends. As a matter of fact, I want to finish by saying this. Discipline ends where my attitude does. My attitude of defiance, of selfishness, of arrogance, bitterness and pride, unforgiveness. I need God's discipline to confront me and to change my perspective, to change my values, to change my attitude. We're like Christ. We start saying things like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Your ways are better than mine. Are there parts of your life that you know for sure you are living in disobedience to God's word? And generally, um, when you're dealing uh, with, with people that are believers, you're looking at a couple of things. Um, in, in the area of their finances, that's a big thing. Most people don't want to talk about that, but I will not submit my finances to the Lord. Lord, this is my money. You take care of your stuff. And God's like, I, I can't use you because you won't listen. Your heart's not mine. And your checkbook proves it. God bless me with more. Why should I do that? Our marriages, things like unforgiveness, 
and hold things against people. And God's like, I didn't hold that against you. You want me to forgive you, but you won't forgive them? What sense does that make? The scripture is very clear about God's forgiveness being extended to us at the same rate that we're extending it to somebody else. You reap what you sow. Today we have an opportunity to make better choices. His ways. And it starts with a simple submission of our hearts. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? There's some of us that need to delete some numbers. Some of us, you need to block some people. Some of, some of us, you need to delete some passwords. Please hear me. I'm trying to be your friend. I'm trying to love you. you. You'd rather do it now than to face the discipline of the Lord. He loves you too much to let you do whatever you want. It's not good for you. Some of us need to make a phone call and say, I'm sorry. Let the chips fall where they may, but you do what God tells you to do. Some of us, it's time to honor the Lord with your finances. It's time to tithe. It's time to give. If this is not your home church, don't give here. You do what God tells you to do. But to walk in disobedience means that you're going to reap what you sow. And there's not a lot I can do for you. I told you, the Bible is clear. There's a sweet spot to be found. It's in the obedience to what God's word is telling me to do and living my life according to those principles that he set up for my good. He's a good father. He has good things in store for you, even if you don't agree with him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to invite you to pray a prayer. If you believe that what you heard today was truth from the word of God, I want to invite you to pray a prayer. It's very simple. And the prayer is this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What part applies to my life? Are there areas of disobedience that I've been ignoring? Have you been asking me to give and I'm not giving? Have you been asking me to forgive and I'm not forgiving? Are you asking me to serve and I'm not serving? Are you asking me to speak and I'm not speaking? Be a witness to someone on my work and I I refuse to do it? Have you told me no and I keep saying yes? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Lord God, today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Lord, we come into your presence admitting that we got a lot of issues. And Lord, it's easy for us to despise your discipline. It's really easy for us to just be stubborn to follow after our own hearts, to do whatever it is that we want to do and expect you to just bless it. Father, that that comes with no effort. But Lord, your word calls us to something higher. It calls us to respond to your discipline, to make a choice, to repent, to turn, to ask you for help, to ask you for forgiveness. And Lord, today, we choose that. So all over this place with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in a place where you know you've been disobedient to what God has told you to do, I want to invite you to do something very powerful. Tell the Lord, say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you give me another chance? Help me to make it right. Father, I thank you that you're the God of second chances. You're the God that gives us the freedom to respond to your discipline. So we say, yes, we will be led by your spirit. 
We submit to your authority. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, if I'm gonna be really honest with you, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I may have gone to church, but I I don't really have a relationship with him. I, I need that. Maybe you were raised in church, but it's time for you to come home. Maybe you've never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him at all. I believe that God led you here for a purpose today to start a relationship with him. You may say, how do I do that? I wanna help you just like somebody helped me one time. Whether you're here in this room or watching online, if you need to take that first step, it starts with a prayer. Pray this with me. I'll tell you what to say. The prayer goes this way. Just say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Come on, pray with me, friend. Say, I believe that you came, you died, you rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? Come into my heart and take over. I give my life to you right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you actually prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you look up at me and lift your hand and say, that was me, Pastor. I did that. I prayed that prayer. Good. If you're watching online, there's a number appearing on the screen. The number is 844-HRC-TEXT. If you actually prayed that prayer, I want to dare you to text me. Text the words, I prayed. If you do that, I'm going to send you some things that will help you understand what just happened inside of your heart and what the Lord would have you to do next. It would be my great journey to help you get to know Jesus better. That's why we do what we do, to help people just like you. Well, Highridge family, go ahead and look up at me if you would and stand to your feet. Hey, if you're watching online today and you liked what you heard, would you do us a favor and click the share button? If you guys have any kind of social media, man, share this message if you would. We believe that people need to hear things that are not being preached in pulpits. We need to hear this. We need to hear these things. So share it with your friends if you wouldn't mind. Hey, we have our um, elders and their wives stepping forward today. These guys are gonna remain at the very front to be available to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer for. We believe that God still heals, God still delivers, He still answers prayers. This is one of the ways that we can help you get some answers from the Lord by praying for you. Also, we have a very, very special announcement today. Um, (laughs) This is so cool. Um, In our elders retreat this this past week, the Lord began to move upon our heart um, to add another pastor to our staff. And so uh, I am privileged and honored to present Pastor James Williams. For you guys that know James. So James was here earlier. Where'd you go, James? I think he's in the lobby. But if you guys see uh, James, you can now call him PJ. So you got PT, you got PJ. We don't do that with Pastor Paul for obvious reasons. (laughs) But make sure you tell him congratulations. The Lord selected him. He's a powerful man of God. He's already been pastoring without the title, but he's been added onto our staff and we're so pleased and honored to have him. So make sure you give him a big hug. He's British and he loves the affectionate. He's He's so passionate. So he wants a lot of hugs today. So if you got, there he is. Pastor James, we love you. Love what you're doing. Love what your wife is doing over there with our kids. You take care, do great, great things, and we're such, such a blessed body to have you with us. So thank you for saying yes to the call of God and doing what, uh, what God's called you to do. It's an awesome thing. For everybody else, let me pray for you and bless you as we finish up. Thank you, Father, for the amazing word that you've given us. And I pray that this word would stick in our hearts and help us to honor you by being exactly who you've called us to be, doing what you've called us to do all week long. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together. Amen. God bless you as you go. I hope you have an awesome week. Thank you so much for listening in today. 
Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit highridgelv.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.